Am I on? All right. I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter 4. To Luke chapter 4. Um, for those of you who are unfamiliar with Scripture, you can find this passage on page 859 in that black Bible that's in the pew in front of you. I would encourage you to, to follow along. Luke chapter 4. You know, as I was thinking about this sermon this morning, I, was, I began to think about the, the process of refining gold. And I know many of you have thought about that before, but the idea of refining gold is that you, you take a bar of gold and you heat it up to 1,200 degrees to the point that the gold liquefies. And what happens when the gold liquefies is that all of the impurities, all of the imperfections, all the flaws in the gold rise to the surface. And what is left after the gold has been exposed to heat for a very long time is a layer of dross on the top. A layer of filth, a layer of impurity, a layer of flaws. And what's amazing about the text that we're going to read this morning is what the text reveals to us this morning is that Jesus isn't flawed. What happens when you take a, a, a bar of gold that is pure and you put it into the fire and you melt it down to 1,200 degrees and it begins to glow? What happens to that gold is that it begins to glow brightly. And as purity comes forth, you see the purity of the gold in the fire. And that's exactly what we're going to see in this text. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus is taken into the fire. And what we see is a perfect, righteous, holy God. As we go to the text this morning, what I'd like for us to see is this. Is that the temptations of Jesus Christ reveal that He is our only hope of righteousness. Let's read. Let's, let's read in Luke chapter 4, and, and then we'll dig in this morning. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. For forty days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. 
And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him, him only shall you serve. And so he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Let's pray. Father, we come to your presence this morning to sit before your word. We pray that you would humble our hearts and that we would be ready to hear what the scriptures say to us, how it confronts us, how it comforts us, how the scriptures give us hope. Lord, we are your church. There are many people in this congregation dealing with all manner of things. And we need to hear from you. So speak to us through your word this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I just want to dig right in. In Luke chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit and returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The context of this passage, Jesus had just recently been baptized by John the Baptist. God the Father has spoken from heaven and said, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. The Spirit has come down upon Jesus in bodily form like a dove. And now Jesus is taken into the wilderness. And it is interesting to, to think about the fact that what happens when Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit and Jesus is led by God is that God takes him to the wilderness. Jesus, the perfect Son, the one with whom He is pleased, the one whom the Father loves, to the wilderness. 
we've got to come to this text understanding that Jesus isn't just the Son of God. Jesus is not just God in the flesh. He is also a human being. And the Lord Jesus Christ had a body like we have. The Lord Jesus Christ needed to eat like we need to eat. The Lord Jesus Christ needed sleep just like we need sleep. Jesus desired, just like every human being that's ever lived, to experience love from other human beings. He was a human being. And this Jesus, who is now about 30 years old, has already lived 30 years of his life in perfect submission to the Father, walking in perfect obedience, obeying his parents, honoring his parents, loving his siblings, loving his neighbors, doing everything according to the will of the Father. It's hard to imagine such a person, isn't it? Never once did a selfish word come out of this man's mouth. Never once did Jesus have a selfish motive in his heart. Never once did Christ love himself more than he loved his Father. And this is where it leaves. Luke chapter 4. Starving, homeless, and alone. In a wilderness. To be tempted by the devil. That's something to consider, isn't it? So I just want to walk through these three temptations. There's obviously, there's so much that could be said about these temptations. Um, as I studied for this week, I just thought to myself, how in the world do we talk about all three of these temptations in 35 minutes? It doesn't seem possible. And so I know there's many of you out there that are probably thinking, man, he should have talked about this and he should have talked about that. I understand there are so many things that could be said. But what I want to focus on this morning are three things in the temptations. Looking at temptation number one, we need to see this. To be like Jesus, you must entrust yourself to God's care. To be like Jesus, you must entrust yourself to God's care. Let's look at the temptation. Jesus has not eaten for 40 days, he's hungry. The devil comes to Jesus in verse 3 and says, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. You know, this begs the question, why would it have been such a big deal for Jesus to turn that stone into bread? In fact, Jesus is the one who, just a couple years later, would turn just a, a few loaves of bread and a couple fish into a meal to feed 15,000 people. 
why would it have been such an egregious sin for Jesus to turn that stone into bread? And folks, listen to me. This is the heart. This is the heart of this. Here's the reason. Because it wasn't his father's will for Jesus to make bread for himself. You see, Jesus, being the perfect man, says this in John chapter 4, My food is to do the will of him who sent me. He says, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord. The Son can do nothing of His own accord. In, in John 5, Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. Jesus, the God-man, God in the flesh, lived His entire life and everything He did and everything he said was determined by one thing and one thing alone, the will of God. And the devil comes to Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus is starving. Brothers and sisters, he was a man just like you and me. And he had not eaten food for 40 days. You know what's interesting about this temptation is that Jesus actually had the power to do this. One commentator puts it this way. The temptation to doubt, the temptation is this, to doubt the Father's provision and to use his own power independently of his obedient sonship. You guys get that? The temptation is to doubt the provision of the Father and use his power independently of his obedient sonship, Satan is coming to Jesus and said, you are starving. Your father has left you alone out here for 40 days and has not provided you with a drop of food. Speak to that stone that it might become bread. Where is your father? Take your power and use it to serve yourself. After all, here's the insinuation, after all, your Father is allowing you to starve. Stop waiting on the Father. Stop trusting in His provision. And do it for yourself.
You all see it? Here's Jesus' response in verse 4. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. Now what I want you to do, uh, this is going to help us the rest of this study, is I want you to turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 8 and Exodus chapter 16. If you have like a couple pieces of paper or a couple pens or whatever, we're going to be turning back and forth to those texts. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and Exodus chapter 16. Jesus responds to this temptation from the devil by quoting a passage of Scripture from Deuteronomy chapter 8. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, Moses is giving the law again. That's what Deuteronomy is, the second giving of the law. The Israelites have just spent 40 years in the wilderness. They've come up to the Jordan River. God is about to bring them into the promised land. And Moses gives them God's law again because when Moses gave them the law the first time in the book of Leviticus, they didn't obey it, right? Now look at Deuteronomy chapter 8 with me. If you're not familiar with Scripture, that's on page 152 of the Black Bible. And look at verse 1. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God, you recognize this language? The Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness. And why did He lead you these 40 years in the wilderness? That He might humble you. Testing you. Israel, to know what was in your heart. God is testing you in the wilderness to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. And God humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. And why did God do this? God did this that He might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see that? This, this, this text that Jesus quotes comes straight from Deuteronomy chapter 8, where Moses is giving instruction to the Israelites who have been humbled by God, who have been led by God in the wilderness. God took them into the wilderness to test them so that they might know what was in their hearts and that God might teach them that man does not live by bread alone. Now, turn to Exodus 16. Turn to Exodus 16. We're going to fly through this chapter very quickly, but I want you to see it. If you look at verse 2, God has brought the Israelites out into the wilderness. They've crossed the Red Sea, and now, now they are in the wilderness. And the people 
have departed Egypt. In verse 2, the whole congregation of, of Israel, of the people of Israel, grumble against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Why? Because they're in the wilderness and they're hungry. In verse 3, the people of Israel said to them, we would, we would have that we would have died by the hand of the Lord in, in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Verse 4, the Lord says to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Look at verse 19. Moses said to the Israelites, let no one leave any of it over until the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was angry with them. So the Israelites go out into the wilderness. They're hungry. God provides manna for them miraculously, but he tells them, gather just enough for one day. Leave nothing left over until the morning. Why does God do that? How is this a test for them? Because when they leave nothing left over until the morning, they have nothing. God is saying, you, Israel, will walk by faith day by day by day by day. And you will recognize, Israel, that I am your provision. You are not your provision. I am your provision. And what did Israel do? Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it till morning, but they did not listen. So even though out in the wilderness, God miraculously puts manna in the wilderness so that the Israelites can go out there and harvest food for the day. This is an incredible miracle, brothers and sisters. They still don't obey. Going on in Exodus 16, look at verse 22. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each, and when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept until the morning. So God says, tomorrow is the Sabbath. And so you will harvest double today. Because tomorrow is the Sabbath, a solemn day of rest. And you will gather none tomorrow. But look at the Israelites, verse 27. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather. They found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments? So here's the Israelites in the wilderness, and God is leading them by a pillar of cloud, a pillar of cloud during the day, a pillar of fire by night. God is miraculously providing food for them every day, yet they do not trust in God. 
You know, Israel failed to entrust themselves to the Lord. And we fail too, don't we? We fail too. Try to imagine with me right now that we are in the wilderness, that you are by yourself, no shelter, no food, no company, being tempted by the devil. You're under the intense heat of the day. You're under the extreme cold of the night of the desert wilderness. And God has left you there for 40 days. Where would you be? Where would I be? You know, the moment we begin to worry about anything, we are believing the lie that we provide for ourselves. When we cheat or we're dishonest or we fudge numbers for personal benefit, there are many people in this room who may be struggling with being obedient in the realm of giving. You know what the refusal to give to God and to honor God with your offerings is? It is the belief that I provide for myself. Instead of walking in obedience and giving, we trust in our own strength, we trust in our own wisdom, we trust in our own provision. You know, Jesus would have died of starvation in that wilderness. You know that? If it was the Father's will, Jesus Christ would have stayed in that wilderness and he would have laid there and died without grumble, without complaint. You know, we know that because three years later, he submitted himself to a cross. Praise God, right, that Jesus is not like us. Let's look at the second temptation. To be like Jesus, you must seek the glory that comes from God. To be like Jesus, you must seek the glory that comes from God. Luke chapter 4, verse 5. The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. What's going on here? Satan is getting to the heart of the matter. Satan is offering Jesus a shortcut to glory. Satan is saying to Jesus, skip the suffering. You can skip the next three years of persecution, hatred, scorn, mocking, malice, and false accusations, and eventually a cross. You can skip it and go straight to glory. You can make an exchange, Jesus. You can exchange future glory for present glory. 
You can exchange eternal things for temporary things. You can exchange the cross for a crown. You can exchange the tribulations of this life for treasures in this life. All you have to do is bow to me. You know, some would say that that really wasn't a temptation for Jesus because he knows the end of the story. Well, don't we know the end of the story? Here's the reality. Jesus felt the full weight of this temptation. I liken it to like lifting weights in the weight room. Back in the day, I used to lift quite a bit of weight put 500 pounds on the squat rack, and, and there we go. But there would be people who couldn't handle 500 pounds on the squat rack. Say you put a child under 500 pounds of, uh, on the squat rack, and they get under, that, get under that weight, and you take the weight off the rack, and you just set the weight on the child, and the child collapsed, right? How much of the weight did that child bear? Very little. You know, you and I really do not know the full weight of temptation. Because we crumble. The heat gets turned up. The trials come, the tribulations press down on us, and eventually we crumble. But Satan has brought to Jesus, Satan has just told Jesus, I am giving you an out card. He takes him in a moment of time and shows him all the glory of the kingdoms of the world and says, this can be yours. What does Jesus respond? Jesus' response is, verse 8, you shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. He's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6 again. Let's look at that text. Again, Jesus talking to the Israelites. And he says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you, for the Lord your God is in your midst. He is a jealous God lest the anger of the Lord your God would be kindled against you and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. The Israelites 
The context here is the Israelites are getting ready to enter the promised land. They're going to experience unbelievable, bountiful blessing. And God warns them, do not let your hearts turn from me. Now, why would the Israelites be tempted to serve other gods? Here's why, because the nations around them serve other gods. And they're looking at their possessions and they see what they have and they see the comfort that they live in and this nation is threatening them and this nation is threatening them and this nation is threatening them and this nation is threatening them. Let's just compromise and be friends with them. Let's worship their gods. Let's bow at their altars. protect what is ours. You see, over time, the, the material possession, the blessings of the land became their functional God. And so they bowed to the gods that would provide them with offspring in their mind. They bowed to the gods that would bless their fields. And they forsook the one true God Jesus said, I will do that. I will worship the one true God. I will submit myself to God the Father regardless of what it means for me in this life. You understand that? Jesus understood that for me to worship and serve and and love God the Father only meant one thing for him. It meant a life of suffering. It meant a life of difficulty, of hardship, conflict, and ultimately a cross. Jesus was going to say whatever it is that God had for him to say. And Jesus was going to do whatever it is that God had for him to do. You know, we know that Israel failed, but we failed too, haven't we? Before you answer the questions, I have been in rooms with other believers at different times where I have seen Christians compromise to save three bucks. I'm just going to fudge the truth just a little bit here and save me three dollars on my Jimmy John. Can we just take a moment and reflect? If we are honest, we must admit that we tend to seek glory that comes from man. We tend, as human beings, to avoid suffering at all costs, even if it means being disobedient to what God has called us to do. We struggle to say the thing that God has called us to say in fear of retribution. If we're honest, we we have to admit that we tend to have our minds set on earthly things and not heavenly things. You know, Jesus said that the world hated me. If the world hated me, he'll hate you also. Why did the world hate Jesus? Because Jesus spoke the truth 
Brothers and sisters, are we speaking truth in our culture? Here's something to consider. How am I doing in my life in the area of evangelism? Am I proclaiming the gospel, the glories of Christ to my neighbors, to my coworkers, to my friends, to my unsaved family? If not, why not? Christian, ask, ask yourself this question. When is the last time I have opened my mouth to share Jesus Christ with someone else? You know, Spurgeon says this, if you really long to save men's souls, you must tell them a great deal of disagreeable truth. What are we praying for in life, brothers and sisters? I read a quote last week in a book I was reading. It said this, is this true? Christians spend more time praying to keep saints out of heaven than they do praying to keep sinners out of hell. Is that true of me? Brothers and sisters, we will stand before God sooner than we think. Are we seeking the glory that God gives? You know, that's another instance where when I look at that and reflect on my own life, reflect on my own heart, this is what, what I think to myself. Praise God that Jesus is not like me. Third temptation. Verse 9. Satan took Jesus to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Third point here, to be like Jesus, you must walk by faith in God's word. To be like Jesus, you must walk by faith in God's word. Satan tempts Jesus. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Think with me, what, what is Jesus getting at here? What, what, is, what is the devil seeking to get Jesus to do that is wrong. What is the point of this temptation? Well, here's the heart of it. Satan is saying to Jesus, don't trust your father's word. Make him prove himself. Don't, don't believe eternal truth. Look at your temporal circumstances and demand that God the Father show you a sign. Where is he? Jesus, 40 days ago, the heavens opened and God spoke and said, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And he has disappeared. You are out here by yourself. You are out here suffering. 
You are out here starving. Make him show up. And Jesus responds, verse 12, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Back to Deuteronomy 6. Back to Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, verse 16. Jesus is quoting this text. Moses says, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested Him at Massah. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God. You see that? In other words, the righteous people, righteous human beings, do not test God. They believe and obey God. Now look at Exodus 17. What happened at Massah? That's what Moses says. Do not test the Lord your God as you tested him at Massah. Well, what happened at Massah? Exodus 17, verse 1. All the congregations of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water there for people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled against Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said, Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of that place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? You see, Israel failed the test. Even though God was miraculously providing them food every day, as soon as the heat got turned up a little bit, as soon as the thirst pains turned up just a little bit, as soon as the hunger pain turned up just a little bit, their response is, where is God? This is how they tested the Lord. Is the Lord among us or not? Israel failed. God told them in Exodus 3 and Exodus 13 that what he was going to do is he was going to lead them through the wilderness and take them to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And it should have been enough for them. But it wasn't. We struggle in this too, brothers and sisters, don't we? We tend to look at our circumstances and validate our position with God based on the circumstances we find ourselves in. 
Maybe things are tough for you right now and the temptation is to, to seek some type of sign from heaven in order to be obedient. Are we tempted to believe during trials and tribulations that God is not near? How do we think about our salvation? Do we think about our salvation in terms of personal experience or do we think about our salvation in terms of what God has said? Are we driven and motivated by our feelings and premonitions or are we driven and motivated by God's divinely revealed word? That's the question of the heart. Are we looking at our circumstances? Are we, are we looking at what's going on around us? Are we looking at the disease in our body? Or are we looking to God's word? And again, I say this, I am so thankful that Jesus is not like us. Aren't you? I have failed in all three of these ways. All three. Many times. Here's what we need to see, brothers and sisters. God's testing of Israel revealed their sinful and rebellious hearts. And the truth of the matter is, is that God's testing and trials of us revealed our sinful, disobedient, unbelieving hearts. But God's testing revealed Jesus' heart too. That's what we have to see in this text. Jesus' heart is revealed too, and He's different from us. He's different from the Israelites. His heart is pure. His heart is holy. He did not waver in His dependence and submission to God. He had a devoted soul. He was tried by God and found to be true. As we look at the temptation of Jesus, we need to come to two very clear conclusions. The first one is this. Jesus is perfectly righteous, submissive, obedient Son who has come down from heaven. And as a result, all of us should look to the Son and worship because there's no one like Him. There's no one who's lived the way He's lived. There's no one who's obeyed God the way that he obeyed God. And the second conclusion we have to come to as we look at these temptations and see the character of Christ is that we ourselves have no righteousness whatsoever in us. The temptations of Jesus really do reveal that He is our only hope for righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sins He made Him to be sin who knew no sin. 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Hebrews chapter 4, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We are thankful for the grace of Jesus. We see his perfect righteousness. We see our own unrighteousness. We pray that you would give us grace to love and worship Jesus, to trust in him alone, to see him as our only source of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.